Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Coach Ray Z, and welcome to episode 10 of Athletic Definition Podcast. Today, my guest is Alex uh, Flamenco. Alex, uh, I know this is your first time on Fireside. Welcome. And all you have to do is hit the little monkey to unmute. There you go. You able to hear me? Perfect. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm well, and you? I'm doing good. Thank you for joining me. Um, uh, I've known Alex for quite some time now through uh, the running community. And uh, Alex has a very remarkable and interesting uh, life story. And, um, you know, I was kind of reading a little bit of what you gave me earlier, Alex. So I think it'd be, you know, you know, for everyone listening in, um, the best thing to do is uh, start from the beginning. Um, you know, you, were you born in this country or did you come over here as a child? I was born in El Salvador. I came here when I was four years old. And was that because your family wanted to, you know, the, pursue the American dream or? No, actually, I'm not sure. Uh, actually, that's something that I have to figure out more about. But I know that I was sent here at four years old. My, 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 um, the way I've always seen it is that the woman that gave birth to me, I, I don't call her my mother. I don't use that word. But anyways, the woman who gave birth to me, uh, she just wanted to get rid of me. And the reason I believe that is because she had a bunch of kids, didn't take care of any. So I've always seen it as she was just trying to get rid of me. So she sent me to the, well, his name is Alfredo. Uh, he was the person that was supposed to be my father. Again, I wouldn't call him my father because he never was. But the point is that uh, I was supposed to come live with him here because uh, sometime during her pregnancy, he moved to the United States. So they sent me over here. At the time, I just remember that I didn't want to come. Uh, I was a child and I was leaving everything that I knew. So it was terrifying to me, but I had no choice in the matter. They just sent me. Um, one of the recollections I have is that I was dropped off at a bus station and handed over to this woman. Uh, this woman, I guess, was supposed to be in charge. To me at the time, it seemed like it was just some random person. But this woman made my life miserable on the trip. She was just beating me the whole way. She refused to let me sleep and just tortured me the entire trip. And that was on top of an already torturous journey, which is uh, coming from El Salvador, you know, illegally. It is hell. I remember going through the desert, dying of, like, of thirst and not eating. It was just complete hell. There was one um, incident I remember where, again, I was very young, but I got the impression that somebody was looking to kill the group, the whole group of immigrants, and we were hiding. And I remember seeing men through a little hole in a wall or something, and they were armed, just walking around, searching for the group, and we were hiding. I think this happened in Guatemala, actually, for some reason. But that's what I remember about that. And I'm looking to find out more about what actually happened, why I was sent here. I'd like to get other people's side of the story. Wow. I know that was a lot. Right. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a, a movie which never does anything justice, but it kind of gave me a little bit of an idea of what, um, you know, 
this movie was in particular people from El Salvador. So, you know, I think a lot of us just kind of think of Mexico and that desert journey, but coming further, because you have to cross, uh, I, I believe, some sort of a river. And then after that, you get to Guatemala. And then from there, you still have to get to Mexico. And then from there, you still have to get to the U.S. And each country has its own dangers. And and um, I couldn't even imagine that as a child. And then when you get here, you're still really not quite sure of, you know, what, well, who you're staying with. And it seems like who decided to or helped out wasn't very nice to you at all. Uh, they seem abusive. And so what was your next step? Yeah, well, again, I was supposed to come live with uh, with Alfredo, but um, I don't know what happened. I ended up living with my grandma. But the problem is that my grandma did. She hated me. She made that very clear from day one. And for the next seven years, she just made my life miserable. Beatings, uh, verbally abusive, just tormenting me every day until I was 12, at which point I ran away from home. I never went back home. I, I've been, I was alone since then. Well, I'm not alone anymore, but the uh, point is that from that point on, I never went back. And did you have a chance to go to school, you know, while, while was, this was going on or no opportunity for that? Well, I went to school, you know, the whole time that I was living with my grandma. And I had a lot of problems because, you know, I had a lot of issues at home. So school was difficult. But and then when I ran away from home, I stopped going to school because I knew they could find me there. So I missed the first semester of uh, seventh grade. And then I always tell this story about I don't remember where I was, but there was an incident that made me feel stupid. And I was probably like 12 years old. And it was at that point that I decided that I would never feel that way again. So I went back and checked myself into school. And I remember going to the school and I told them that I was there to check myself in. They said I told, they told me I had to bring in my parents. I told them I didn't have any. So they sent me to the principal. He again told me that I had to bring in my parents. I again said I don't have any. Well, I just remember... His eyes were got wide, and he was, he couldn't believe it. But anyway, see, uh, somehow I was able to get into school, and I continued to go to school while I was living on the street. For me, it was a uh, I actually wanted to learn. I've always liked learning, and it was a place where I can eat and have a little bit of normalcy. So I, I did go to school while I was on the street. Well, that that's good, and uh, you know. Unfortunately, sometimes things that happen to us cause us to want to do better. So that's good that in some ways that made you want to enroll yourself in school. And I, you know, I know it had to have been tough being homeless and going to school. But, you know, I kind of just I'm wondering, like, um, at what point did a, a little bit of working out uh, inspire you? Did Or was it sports in school? When did you kind of first get a little glimpse of that? Well, I always loved sports. Uh, ever since I can remember, I, can, I can't ever remember not liking sports. I always played basketball or some sport and loved football. My dream was I was playing football. So uh, I always uh, played sports. And then around 12 years old, actually uh, maybe about 13, I started working out, like just doing push-ups and doing whatever. I was doing things incorrectly at the time, but uh, 
I remember I wanted to get bigger because, uh, again, I, my dream was to play football. And I was so tiny. I was always very, very small. And did you want to play American football or? Yes, soccer? American football. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I, you know, uh, sports is the one thing that I think has helped a lot of people. And um, me personally, when I went to school, um, I remember uh, being discriminated against. Um, some kids didn't want to play with me because I spoke Spanish. So uh, I'm glad at least, uh, I don't know if it was in school that you were able to, uh, you know, play with other kids or outside of it. But that's always a, uh, I think a lifesaver for a lot of us out here. It is. It's part of the reason that I, that I stayed in school, uh, especially in high school. I mean, playing high school football is the only reason that I went. I don't know if I would have uh, gone to continue to go to school if it wasn't because of sports. And did you? Okay, so you got to play uh, football in high school. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you have any good mentors along the way? Um, coaches, teachers, and I know you were going through a lot of rough times and, you know, I I know friends that have grown up with no family support or, you know, their fathers abandoned them, mothers abandoned them, uh, or in jail. And so, uh, but someone always has at least one one little light, you know, uh, of, of hope in their life. Did, did you get to have anybody like that? Yeah, I had many, actually. Uh, even in elementary school, I remember teachers who used to take care of me and just hear me out or I would cry on their lap or whatever. And even uh, junior high, there was um, a couple of teachers who really took an interest and uh, did their best to help me. In high school, I had a, a great coach that taught me a lot about working out. Some of the things he taught me uh, – I still, I still live by this day. He actually was uh, my high school football coach. Was an Olympic, um, Olympic uh, coach for a, for a weightlifting coach for I don't remember which country. He was American, but uh, he he worked. He was the coach of I forgot who. Point is, he was very knowledgeable and taught me a lot. And that's actually when I took up on weightlifting even more. Again, my I was desperate to put on some weight because uh, when I started high school. I was, I don't even think I was 100 pounds. And again, wanting to play football, I had to put on some weight. And uh, what what did you want to play in football? What position? Uh, receiver and cornerback. Those were my positions. I always loved those. And I'm glad you went to play football. Um, and, you know, just kind of knowing the era, um, gang gangs were very uh, popularized, glamorized, and what made you not want to join a gang or did you join a gang? I actually did. I got jumped in when I was 12 years old. I grew up uh, surrounded by gangs, drug addicts, drug dealers. I lived in an extremely violent neighborhood where people were getting shot. Um, so that was naturally the part of the progression, you know, part of uh, getting older. So I remember everyone, when they went to junior high, you were pretty much picking your gang like it was a there was a bunch of recruiters there already and kids just chose their gang i remember a bunch of 12 and 13 year olds um there was one there was uh, two brothers i remember for instance one of them got killed in seventh grade the other one went in for murder and and that's just the way it was i mean back then at least in my neighborhood it was just part of uh, getting older. Around 12 and 13, you already have to know where, which gang you were going to go with. 
in Hollywood back in those days was so extremely dangerous because um, I always talk about her in other neighborhoods, let's say Compton, South Central, some of the places that people hear about more. They, the gangs would hold like many blocks, let's say, like a few mile radius, let's say, that they controlled while in Hollywood. It was like every two blocks, it was a different gang. And all these gangs went to the same school. So it was just a recipe for violence. Yes, I, I remember that. And I know people don't think of uh, Hollywood as a maybe gang because of, you know, just what's on movies. But I remember Hollywood, it just so many gang members it was pretty insane back then and that's even more pressure uh growing up as a youth you have the influence of friends and you have the influence of gang members and then you you know have the influence of your teammates for school and so what what was like the changing point because i know the pressure to do more work for gangs like what made you decide you know to start changing your life or was that later on well, actually, you know what? I noticed quickly because, um, again, I started gangbanging when I was 12 and then I ran away from home and uh, I lived in the hood. And I had some homies, you know, that uh, were really good to me and took care of me and, and they helped me out however they can. But I also noticed that there was a lot of bullshit, man, where they, uh, the majority of them were not your homies, supposedly, or friends, however you want to call them. They were just a bunch of dirtbags, snakes, you know, looking out for themselves. Uh, there was incidents that just completely changed my perspective on gang life. For instance, I remember um, I used to live off of uh, I used to live off a of plain white rice that I used to get at a Thai restaurant um, called Vim's in Hollywood. It cost me a dollar. One day I had no money, so I asked one of my homies, supposedly, for a dollar, and I clearly remember him saying. Uh, I'm not your dad or something to that effect. But the uh, point is that that was a turning point. I started to pay attention to the fact that these were not my homies. Uh, when I was um, 12, for instance, I also carried a gun. And the older homies used to give it to me, you know. But then it started to make sense to me why they were giving it to me. It was so that if the cops came, I would get arrested and not them. So I started noticing little things like that very, very soon and started seeing the reality that gangs weren't there to help you. These were just a bunch of snakes, dirtbags that did not give a shit about me. With the exception of a few, most of them could care less about me if I died or whatever. So I started like uh, pretty much making my exit maybe around 14, 15, like Never really got jumped out or anything, but I stopped hanging out with them, even though I still lived in the hood. It's uh, very interesting how even at such a young age, you can realize what's going on and, and if people really care about you or they just have other uh, intentions. And uh, I'm glad you, you realize that. And, uh, you know, how long, how long did... Uh, this go on? Were you all through high school uh, involved or what finally kind of helped you separate from that lifestyle? Well, at, uh, in high school, I wasn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I was part of the gang anymore. Like I said, I never got jumped out, but if you ask me, I was not gang banging anymore, even though I still had a lot of the same, you know, mentality. 
I still looked like a gangster, fought a lot, and still had that mentality. But I was not part of the gang anymore. I, I knew better than to do that, especially because my focus, again, was in school and uh, playing sports. And actually, that, that reminds me of something. You know, I often I was listening to a podcast and I often hear people talk about why they start working out or or why they started boxing or MMA or whatever. And it's often because, you know, you get bullied and stuff like that. And it was during that, you know, listening to that podcast that I realized that that was part of the reason I started to. Because, again, I was so small and in the world I lived in, that made me a target. There was this one guy, you know, supposedly my homie, who he was older. He was a grown-ass man. And he used to pick me up, you know, and hang me from the fire escape, you know. And he was, um, he had no problem killing anyone. And he used to just torture me like that. This was supposed to be my homie. And I remember, like, thinking about that and how I wanted to get bigger so that I could defend myself. And that's part of the reason, too, you know, that I recently realized that's part of the reason that I started working out also. Yeah, I, 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 I hear that uh, recurring theme over. A lot, a lot of people get bullied and it's you just get tired of it and fed up and you just want it to stop. So you do whatever you have access to at the time that makes you feel that, that you can uh, get some control to stop the bullying. And uh, working out, especially uh, getting size, I know I, I, I was I was never a big like muscular guy, so I understand about that as well. And um, <clears throat> me, I was kind of kind of crazy uh, living, uh, kind of like that LA lifestyle up until maybe my middle of my twenties, you know. But I, I would say kind of calmed down a lot more in my thirties. So, you know, through high school um, and all that, when uh, when did you really start to kind of change your life and, and why? What was like the final straw? I think I had different turning points in my life. Uh, I think the most impactful was uh, when I was uh, about 15. I was still living in the street and uh, the woman who gave birth to me actually showed up one day, like while I was at the hood and she just showed up out of the blue. And she gave me all this BS about how she was here to help me and all kinds of stuff. And uh, then she would sit and then, you know, I, it was tough for me to accept because, you know, like change is difficult. And even accepting help is difficult when you're, you get used to this uh, victim mentality and or learn um, helplessness. And I was in that state. So when she got there, you know, and offered help, it was tough to hear. But uh, eventually I warmed up to it. Problem is she never helped me. She would just lie to me and then disappear on me. The final time, again, it was about when I was 15. She told me she had gotten an apartment and we were going to live together. So I was so excited about that. I was like, finally, you know, I'm going to have a place to live in. And... One day, you know, after school, I passed by her house. I show up and the man that was living there, some guy she was living with, told me that she left, that she had moved to Miami. And I started crying. And this wasn't the first time that she had done something like that to me, but something was different this time. It's like 
I like a drill sergeant popped in my head and stopped and said, stop crying. And I had a serious talk with myself. I came to terms with the reality that nobody loved me. Nobody gave a shit about me. Nobody was going to help me. But this time it was different. I was going to love myself. I was going to do everything I could to get ahead. And my mentality changed. I went from being a victim to realizing what a badass motherfucker I was, how much I had to uh, survive through, how much I've overcame. And I just, it was like a, a flip of the, of the switch. And uh, from then on, my whole perspective changed where I did not see obstacles. Everything had a solution and I was going to find it. That, I think, what's, was the biggest uh, turning point in my life. There was still a lot of work that had to be done. I didn't completely switch or, or you know, I was still doing a lot of bad things for many, many years to come. But uh, from that point on, I feel like I was constantly getting better. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm glad for, uh, you know, the drill sergeant popping in. Um, for a long time, we could have that victim mentality and just reframing your thoughts and the way you, you see things is so helpful. Um, I, I try and do that to anybody that I coach. It's, you know, just the way you think. And, you know, I've, I've given an example of just being tired in a marathon and, you know, there's like 10 more miles to go and you could be like, wow, 10 miles. Or you could be like, oh, only 10 more miles to go. You know, just the way you say it, the way you kind of take it. And um, I know you really got into working out and uh, you've completed how many marathons? You know what? I think it's, I don't even know. I think it's five or six. Five or six. And, uh, you know, most listeners may not know this yet, uh, but you have asthma. I do have asthma. And uh, do you have some sort of heart issue as well? I have a heart murmur. I've had hyperthyroidism. I've had a bad knee. I've had many, many obstacles, uh, many things, you know, that, that ailments. And I think a lot of it might even come from being malnourished while I was on the street. But again, like uh, that's one thing that I always tell people, because I'm sure you've experienced this before when you try to get people to work out or give them advice on health and fitness. And they always come up with some bullshit excuse like, oh, I have a bad knee. I have asthma. I have whatever. Fill in the blank. They have something. And I'm like, who gives a shit? There's a solution for it. And I always tell them not only not only should you be working out. Exercise is usually the cure for almost everything. Exercise and nutrition is the cure to almost everything. For instance, I've been off of my thyroid medication for over three years, and I credit my, the way I eat to being able to do that. And hyperthyroidism is a serious disease. There would be times when I'd lose 30 pounds in a month and be bedridden for a month. I couldn't move, no energy, just uh, like, like I was dying away, just shrinking. Just, it, it really, really sucks. Or even asthma. During my marathons, I get asthma attacks. I don't let them stop me. I run right through them. I just slow down, if anything. But the point is that, yeah, like uh, we all have some sort of issue, and that's no reason to, to keep you from working out. As a matter of fact, it should be a motivating factor. And what about like when you first were, well, I'm, I don't know how long you've had asthma. Some people are born with it or, you know, the heart murmur, but... A lot of times when we get that type of new news, especially from a doctor, we kind of go to that victim mentality and it's like, oh, well, I can't do this anymore or I can't. Um, 
was there something that were you liked on the beginning and, and something changed or that was just your mentality from the get-go? No, I think uh, it was just the way that my mentality changed again when I had that epiphany at 15. But uh, before that, yeah, I would, I would use it as a crutch. I would use everything as a crutch like, uh, like everyone else did. And, you know, uh, the more I get to know you, Alex, you know, I, when I met you, I knew you just as a runner, a guy who worked out. But one of the things that I see you do that to me is very um, inspirational and it gives me hope because I know there's good people out there is I always see you giving to the homeless. And, um, you know, w what is your motivation factor for that? I think it's just uh, knowing what that feels like. So... A lot of the things that I do just come from uh, experiences that I've had. For instance, you know, one of the things I started with was the Halloween costume uh, giveaway, you know, where I go to the schools and provide costumes for the kids who can't afford one. And I remember, you know, going to my daughter's um, costume parades that they have at pretty much every elementary. And it would just put me back in, at, to my childhood. And I remember for many years, I had to go through that parade pretending that I didn't care until one day I couldn't take it anymore. I just started crying. I was like, I want a costume. And they took me to the principal's office, see what they could work out for me. And uh, I called my uncle. My uncle was one of the few people in my life that was always there for me. I knew that he would try to help me. And my uncle actually went running, I don't know where, to get a costume. And point is that the parade ended. My uncle showed up. The parade had ended already. It was too late. But he brought me one, and that was so special to me. He went out of his way, and even though he was late, he did what he could to help me. And, you know, that's how a lot of the things that I do, a lot of the charity things that I do, started let's say the um, christmas gift i never received a christmas gift so now i give christmas gifts to kids who need one for christmas and i don't like to do it like most charities do where you know you just go get in the line because that's kind of sad and it's uh i know they mean well but it can be even a bit humiliating or not i don't know if humiliating is the right word but it, it's, it's just a not a good experience so what i do is i actually have them write out a wish list and you know just like any other kid would i want it to be as normal as possible and they get something from their wish list and again it's just because i never had that experience and um <clears throat> as i mentioned i think that's great alex and um you know a lot of people think there's not good people in the world but uh, i saw myself you doing this during the pandemic uh, and a lot of people may not know this, but I put your uh, website up on the fortune cookie. It's a uh, com, And so your business uh, is a, is a ticket agent um, or seller. Um, when there was no sports going on, when there was no concerts to sell, um, you know, I don't know how you made income and a lot of people could stop, thinking of others and just think about themselves, but you kept doing the homeless thing during the pandemic. So I wanted to uh, just say uh, that's a, it takes a big person to do that. And, and 
if no one's told you great job on that uh i'm sure you've inspired other people yeah well i realized people were struggling you know i didn't make any money during that time but uh i knew people were struggling were in a worse situation than i was so i found some connections and actually got donations from a bunch of stores and i would we would provide uh groceries to families and even deliver it to them during the pandemic some people were really struggling people would find me and tell me their stories and they had nothing to eat so we would get them groceries and that's great and um you know i can um i can also put your um instagram if you like so that they can reach out to you if anybody wants to help out um yeah that'd be great i'm always looking for help when it comes to charity and um, let's let's uh, touch a little bit more on fitness. Um, since the title is Misconceptions in Fitness, what do you feel is the biggest misconception in fitness today? There's quite a few. I think the biggest one, or at least the one that I have the biggest problem with, is the fact that you know a lot of uh, trainers out there, or even just the fitness industry in general, has uh, per- per- perpetuated this... Um, notion that in order to get shape, you have to suffer. You have to go hard. Uh, you have things like uh, challenges like 75 hard. I don't know if you've heard of it or everything is just like you got to go hard. So people have this misconception that in order to get in shape, you have to deprive yourself of the foods you love. You have to suffer and go through all this pain. And I'm tr- constantly trying to tell people that you don't have to do that. I enjoy my workouts. I enjoy going to run with the exception of a few workouts that I do once in a while, maybe during training for a marathon and stuff like that. You do a few where, you know, you really go balls out and they're excruciating. The majority of my workouts are very, very easy. And it's not only is it enough, it's actually the right way of working out. And so many people are struggling with their weight or just getting in shape because they've tried working out the way that, that they believe they're supposed to. Where they go to, this, let's say, for instance, these boot camps where you have these trainers who are just um, egotistical. They're really just trying to show off, it looks like to me. They have people doing these crazy workouts. So you're taking this person who's been sitting on their couch for their whole life, doesn't move. Now you're bringing in this person and you're working them till they throw up. Do you think the trainer does that kind of workout where they're throwing up? I bet you they were not. It's almost like um, they're just trying to humiliate people rather than help them. And then they're not even correcting their form or teaching them anything about, you know, how the body works, just exercise physiology or basic biochemistry, which I think anyone who's in the fitness industry should have at least the basic knowledge, understanding how food works in your body. And so you can explain to people, look, this is what happens when you eat this. This is what happens when you eat that. When you work out this way, you're burning glucose. When you work out in this way, you are burning fat. Or if they're not burning fat, you should be able to explain to them why they're not able to burn body fat. So I just feel like the biggest one, again, is just the fact that people think they have to suffer to get in shape. And that is completely wrong i uh 100 agree with you on that you brought up a lot of good points i feel that a lot of people feel that when they work out they need to push through pain or uh if something hurts that they just need to like tough it out and i 
completely disagree with that. There's ways to get that body part going active again without destroying your body because it's not going to help you by getting a bad experience and not wanting to go back and work out. Um, I've worked at so many different gyms where I've seen those trainers who push them too hard and you know that client's not going to come back. I they mean, don't. That's why they have a very low retention rate. And I've actually been looking at the exercises that, that you've been posting and I've been doing them because I, it makes perfect sense to me. I've been uh, listening to the coach that, you, uh, that you're working with and you recommend it. And everything he says makes so much sense. For instance, working uh, in those ranges at very low intensity and low weight where you're focusing on those muscles that are hard to reach. And the and you're able to maintain correct form during the exercise, which is very important. Yeah, uh, I've, I've learned so much from that. And he's one of my influences who kind of gets me to think, he's the one who always stresses, you don't have to work through pain. You don't have to work. Through, in fact, if you feel pain, stop and do this other Avoid exercise. It, exactly. So you can get that part strong enough and then continue. But especially, I keep saying this about the, the younger guys, like especially 18 to maybe their 30s, full of testosterone. They just want to lift weights and, oh, my shoulder hurts. It's okay. I can push through it today. Oh, you know, my biceps is hurting. And then you get a torn bicep or something else. And then you stop working out. Because majority of the population in the U.S. doesn't work out, so it's not like I'm just talking fairy tales. It just is what it is, you know, and people get married. And that's another thing that kind of stops people from working out, which could be a whole different topic. Yeah, and that's another thing, you know, it reminds me of another point I'd like to make that um, it doesn't even require that much time. You don't, people are always pushing to be, you know, you want to live super heavy. I want to do this many repetitions doing everything incorrectly. And it's, it goes hand in hand with the whole philosophy of not going hard all the time. You can do 15 minutes a day, four times a week, easy workout and get so much out of it. There's a, there was one study, for instance, where they had people do one set. They had the other group of people do five sets of the same exercise. I think the length of the study was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was three months. The group that did uh, five repetitions of the exercise got 13% better. The group that did one repetition of the exercise got 10% better. The point is that there was not a big difference. The group that was doing only one set still got a lot out of their workout. And... I'd like to let people know about that study because it's, it's a, a game changer where you can work out, maybe do one set of push-ups and one set of pull-ups every two days, and you can get so much out of it. You can completely change your life. And then what happens is that once you create that habit, which is going to be a lot easier to create if you're taking it easy, you'll then maybe add a little bit more. Maybe you'll go out for a... For a to the gym and do maybe a 30-minute workout instead of 15 minutes. Same thing with uh, running. You can start walking, go out for a walk. Eventually, it'll get so easy that you can do a very light jog. Before you know it, you'll be running a marathon. I mean, I think that's how a lot of us ended up running a marathon. 
you start and do this one mile. And before you know it, you're out there running a marathon. It's just uh, gradually progressing. And a lot of times I think people see fitness as, I got to do that exercise that that very fit person is doing. And I always explain to them that you don't. You got to do your workout. What's something that's at your level. Don't worry about doing what that other fit person is doing. You'll get there eventually. Yes. What do they say? Comparison is like the beginning of like misery. And, uh, you know, everyone has their own story. So you can't compare like, oh, this runner. Well, maybe that runner has been running for 10 years or 20 years or did track in high school. And for you to want to compare yourself the first time and feel bad about it, it is, it's not something good. But I think a lot of people, when they first start any sort of sport, that's sort of like it's always about comparing. And that's the wrong attitude to start some sort of new activity. You just want to go and enjoy it and have a good time. Um I saw, uh, I think, a post you did earlier. And I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit. I think you put something about that you feel that most of the stuff you see on TV doesn't work. And um, I, I wasn't quite sure what you're referring to, but I have I have a little difference of opinion, but maybe it's the same. You let me know. I think that all those things that we see on TV, those infomercials, because uh, they all pretty much say, give us 90 days and you're going to lose so much weight. Except I'm except for the diet pills. I'm talking like exercise machines. Um, any sort of workout for 90 days, you're gonna get results. So I kind of exactly. think they, they all work, but at the same time, mm, it's not gonna be one thing that helps you uh, fix everything. Exactly. Yes, completely agree. Yeah, I, uh, what I'm referring to is uh, you know this uh, whole notion, and it's a. Uh, you know, about the fitness industry is uh, my post. I think I was uh, noting that uh, it's worth $78 billion and it's um, designed to take your money, not necessarily give you results. Yes. What I mean by that is that, you know, they're, they're selling all these products to people that just don't work. And even the ones that do work are not really for beginners. They're for high level athletes, you know, who can't get all the nutrition they need off of a, off of the, just food alone because they're, burning through so many calories but you have all these companies that are just selling people these magic pills that are going to make them lose weight and all that and just like you mentioned and people get fooled into thinking that the product is working because they go from let's say never doing any exercise to doing some exercise incorrectly or whatever but because they're doing something they're going to see some results and they credit the product to that to to doing that and when in fact it was just them simply moving and yeah, machines, there's a lot of machines out there that are effective, but they're not all, there's one that comes to mind, a very popular bike, I'd rather not say the name, but um, it's just not built correctly. It's not like a road bike. It puts you in a bad position. I think it costs like $6,000. Wow. And it's just, uh, it's, a, it's, um, it's um, what's it called? A spinning bike that eventually is going to cost a knee injury. Mm. And I've tried to talk people out of buying that before because I'm like, you can get an actual road bike. The roads are free. You can go ride that real road bike at the park and you're going to enjoy it so much more. Or you can put that real road bike on a trainer. And that's what the spin bike that costs $6,000 is simulating anyway. So why not just get the real thing? 
So that's what I'm talking about when it comes to products. Of course, there's some great ones out there. And then I'm also talking about, uh, I was referring about, let's say, stuff like uh, some boot camps. Not all of them. Some of them are great and have great trainers. But I, the majority of the ones that I see are geared to, towards people who are just getting started. And you have one trainer pushing like 20 people through this excruciating workout. If you look at everyone, everyone's doing everything incorrectly. They are just in survival mode, suffering through this excruciating workout. And again, just like you mentioned, they will get some results. So the, the people think, oh, this must be good. I lost some weight. But what they don't realize is that a lot of the times what they're doing is they're just damaging their bodies because they're not getting uh, the right nutrition. They're not repairing their muscles after the workout. And a lot of the weight that they, weight that they lose is water or muscle. They're not burning fat. Another thing I stress to people all the time is that just because you're working out does not mean that you're burning body fat. We have different sources of energy. And depending on the kind of shape you're in, and even the exercise that you're doing, you're oftentimes not burning body fat. You might be burning glucose. You might be burning muscle. So I guess that's what I was referring to in that post. But again, just want to make sure that also the audience and you understand that, yes, there are some good products out there. There are some great boot camps. There are some great trainers out there. But the majority of the stuff is not very good or geared yeah. to help you. Especially, uh, you know, I feel those diet pills and pills you see on there, that's just a bunch of junk. Uh, I think I've brought this up before. Most of those things, if you go and you go to the UFC website, they have almost every product they're banned because of substance. The substance that they say or claim is in that bottle is not 100%. Yeah, and they usually have some sort of steroid in there, so, you know, I, I try and stay away from that. There are ways and there are certain companies that do certain testing so you can be sure that the product you're getting is pure. Um, but it is what it's supposed to be, correct? Yeah, but, you know, that's for the average person who's starting off, that's not something you learn in the beginning. Um, it's just something you kind of learn on your journey of um, fitness. Yes. Take and a pre-workout, for instance. I always tell people about, you know, a pre-workout. Yes, that's going to give you energy. You're taking in sugar. It's going to provide some energy. But what that sugar does, it prevents you from burning body fat. Now you are dependent on that. Also, if you are providing um, an external source of energy, then why does your body have any reason to burn body fat? The body fat that we store, it's supposed to be readily available energy that you should be able to use when you go on a run or lift weights. And... If you're taking this pre-workout, then your body's going to burn out what you just consumed. It's not going to burn the fat that you're trying to lose. Yeah, I stay away from pre-workouts. Uh, when I first started, of course, I experiment with them. But in the long run, I'm like, do I really want something to take something every time I need to work out? You know, that can't be good. And then I'll be all hyped up and then I can't go to sleep. So to me, those products did more damage than good. And uh, good thing it was easy for me to weed myself off those. Yeah, they are a problem. Uh, the point is to create certain adaptations in your body that are going to make your body more efficient. Uh, for instance, I, for a long time, like many people, I thought you had to eat every three hours. So I used to get hangry. 
you know, we're a lot of pretty much the entire country is familiar with this. You get hungry in a way that's not natural and you're desperate and you need to eat. And it's because we've uh, accustomed our bodies to constantly needing an external source of energy. And we're storing all this body fat that we can't use, mainly because our body doesn't even recognize it as food. We're con- the majority of the country just consumes all this processed garbage that damages your mitochondria, which is the only way that you can burn body fat. So I started changing the way that I eat, and now I am amazed because I could not go three hours without eating. I was desperate for food. Now I can easily go 24 hours without eating. I could probably do a lot longer than that because my body now has access to the body fat that's stored for a reason, and that is to burn it whenever we don't have food. And so now when I get hungry, the amazing thing is that I'm not desperate. It's just very, very temporary. While my body takes some of its body fat and goes through the process of gluconeogenesis and converts it to the glucose that my brain needs and the rest of my body just to maintain the normal glucose levels. And the hunger goes away. I'm not desperate. I have uh, a never-ending supply virtually of uh, energy. And anyone could do that, just following some simple steps. And Alex, how long did it take your body to get uh, like accustomed to, uh, you know, eating less and less? I think maybe about four months, I'm going to say. But that doesn't mean you have to wait for a month. I saw a difference after a few weeks. And it's different depending on where you're starting from. I at least already pretty much ate a healthy diet. I just ate too much. So it was a little easier for me. For some people, it might be shorter. For some, it might be longer. Okay. But I we understand. can all do that. Got it. And um, I know uh, you, you're in Los Angeles for the li- people listening in. Um, do you plan to do LA Marathon or do you plan to do any sort of event coming up? I do plan on doing the LA Marathon. I love that one. And it's the only one I've ever done, actually. And I plan on doing it uh, almost every year. The only times I've missed it is, again, because of my asthma. And... It only because it was so extremely bad that I knew I might die if I did it. But otherwise, I'll run through asthma attacks. No problem. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you there uh, this year. And um, oh, yes. also, um, you know, I mentioned earlier you own a ticket agency and, you know, you're a busy man, family man, running your own business um, that, you know, just for everyone listening in or who joined in, there was no concerts. There was no sports during the pandemic. And so I, just like for a lot of Americans, uh, life was not easy for you. Um, so please go ahead, promote anything you want, your website, uh, the charities that you do for the homeless. Uh, let anybody know how they can reach out to you. You can find me on Instagram as Alex F underscore runs And the name of the website is INeedTickets.com. We sell tickets to sports, concerts, and theater nationwide. Even if it's sold out, we can help you. And one last point I'd like to make since you brought that up is that, you know, even uh, just, we and we touched on that earlier, it's all about perspective. During the pandemic, I did not make a penny. There was no shows going on. But I remained positive because that's just the way that I think. I was like, there's always a silver lining and... I thought about all the things that I could do or that, you know, I still had a roof over my head and just 
whether it's fitness, life, or whatever, you have to focus on that. You cannot let negative thoughts simmer in your head. So I remain positive throughout the whole thing, and it's just the way that I feel everyone should think, no matter what position you're in. And about the charity, that's, I never stop. I mean, even if I'm not posting, I'm always helping someone. I keep in touch with families, and I... I watched them throughout. For instance, I just texted a family yesterday that I've been helping for years. Um, when I met them, the kids, they were not doing well. I mean, one of them had just gotten arrested for having a knife at school. He was 15. Well, point is that uh, these kids are doing amazingly now. Uh, two of them are already in college. That one with the knife is in college. He's been doing well. The change in them has just been amazing. And... I like to think that I played a small role in that. And if anyone ever wants to help, just let me know. I always have people that need help. I keep in touch with a lot of these families. And so once in a while, I post, especially when I need um, some help. But um, I'm always doing something. So feel free to offer. Yes, I'll be sure to reach out to Alex if you want to help out. Also, if you need tickets, I have personally used them for tickets. Uh, and once again information is on the fortune cookie i put a website as well as his instagram so if you have access to fireside you can go ahead and look at that if not on the replay you could just uh hear the the name of it uh alex uh thank you so much for being my guest uh, you know it's kind of tough to get everything in an hour but uh there's so much more to talk about and uh, so many more different uh, topics we can go off kind of based on what we talked about. So I definitely want to have you back on in the future. Um, Would love to. And, uh, and we could talk a little bit more about fitness and different topics as well. And uh, maybe we can do it uh, after Alley Marathon, see, see uh, how, how your training and everything went. Yes, definitely. I'm definitely interested. Just say when and we'll do it. And All thank right. you for having me. Oh, no problem. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to be my guest. I hope everyone enjoyed episode 10. I can't believe it of athletic definition. Um, thank you for joining. This is Coach Ray Z with my guest, Alex Blumenko. Thank you.